Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Well, there are many opportunities these days for visually impaired people to participate in a full range of sports and other recreational activities. We'll speak with Nancy Stevens from the Oregon Adaptive Sports Organization about how their program got started and what they do. Whether you're interested in skiing, cycling, kayaking, or anything else, there's sure to be something for you. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Nancy Stevens. What I am really grateful for is the number of doors that have opened for me because I started out doing all these sports as a kid and who knew that I would end up doing a lot of national and international racing. Um, I was a triathlete and raced in worlds and biked across the country on a tandem. And so it, it just have had tons of adventures because of my sporting activities. And I just feel so lucky in terms of the confidence building and once you do something like bike across the country it's like wow what else could I do and so that's that's kind of what happens for me when I do these different things. So getting involved in sports can be a real life-changing activity and sometimes you never know where these activities are going to lead when you first start them but it has really made an impact on your life. It really has yeah. It's been great. And so many of those advantages that Nancy has experienced because of her involvement in sports, you don't really have to bike 3,000 miles to achieve that. You know, 20 miles might do the trick for you or any other distance or any other activity. And we've done a number of episodes of Eyes on Success talking to people who've been engaged in sports because there are all of these other benefits of doing those activities, in addition to fitness. Let's start by meeting Nancy and learning about some of her athletic activities. Hello, Nancy and Peter. Thank you for having me on your show. My name is Nancy Stevens, and I've been a lifelong athlete, and I feel very fortunate because my parents got me involved in sports from the time I was a really small child, and I've been blind since birth, so I feel really fortunate that, that they made sports such an important part of my life. What is your current official position with Oregon Adaptive Sports? I'm their outreach coordinator, and I also coordinate the adventures for people who are blind or visually impaired. What are some of your favorite sports? It's so hard for me to pick one, but really what I have to say is if I'm outdoors in the sunshine, that's my favorite. And in the winter, I love cross-country skiing, and I do some downhill skiing, some snowshoeing. And in the summertime, I enjoy tandem cycling, kayaking, hiking, rock climbing. Those are my main sports. You know, I thought it was interesting that you gave your parents 
much credit for raising you the way they did and your interest in sports and that you can do these things. And, you know, when people ask me about what accounts for my success in life, I tell them much the same thing. I give much of the credit to my parents. You know, raising a visually impaired child is not easy, and there's a real tendency to be overprotective. But my parents just, you know, made me do things on my own, raised me to be independent and fight my own battles. They were there as a safety net when I needed them. But other than that, they were very encouraging and enabling. That is what I feel so fortunate about because just like you said, Peter, my parents never said, oh, you can't do that. It was always, well, how are we going to do this? We had an ice skating rink in our backyard when I was growing up, and there were seven kids, and so we didn't go to the ice skating rink. We just froze the backyard, and and so that was one of my earliest memories of being involved in sports with my family and and they taught me how to skate and then I got roller skates and then I got a bike and I wanted to ride my bike to school and a friend of mine and I came up with a system where I would follow her and she put a playing card on her bike so then we went to my parents and said oh I want to ride to school And they said, well, okay, we have to figure out a way to do this because there's too much traffic for you to ride the way you are right now on a single bike. And that's when they got my sister and I a tandem bicycle. So that's when I really started to realize, gosh, I don't just have to ride around the neighborhood. I can go places on this bicycle. And so uh, once I graduated from college, I moved out to Colorado And I started really getting into tandem cycling. I got into bike racing. And one of my lifelong goals was to compete in a Paralympics. Well, great. And we'll get into some more detail about some of that in just a bit. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Oregon Adaptive Sports and the programs they run. We wanted to talk to you today about not only some of your own activities, but about this organization in Oregon that you're a part of that enables other people to do some of these exciting sports that you've participated in. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization? Yeah, so Oregon Adaptive Sports started back in 1996 by a guy named Jack Alexander. And when he started the organization, he started it with folks who were mobility impaired for the most part. And he basically had all the equipment in his truck and uh, they just had a few participants. Was he disabled himself? He is not. So he was just doing a good thing for the community. Yeah. The culture in Central Oregon is so much about getting outdoors and being active. It's really, really fun here. Whenever the Nordic Trail is crowded, it's like, wow. You know, sometimes people are like, gosh, I wish the tourists would go home. And then I always think to myself, isn't it cool that there's so many people who love this sport out here? There are pros and cons. So it sounds like he started out small. How did the organization finally grow? 
I think just word of mouth. The neat thing is, is it used to be that Winter Park in Colorado kind of had the corner on skiing for folks with disabilities. And now just about every alpine area in the country has some sort of an adaptive sports program. And it usually starts with skiing. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but just about every single program that I'm aware of starts with a ski program, a downhill ski program, and then they expand into summer programming. And we didn't, at Oregon Adaptive Sports, we didn't get into summer programming until 2013. And when I moved to Bend in 2009 from Colorado, I asked if I could start a Nordic program because I wasn't doing a lot of downhill skiing. It's just gotten so expensive that I decided I would stick with Nordic skiing. Downhill skiing can be an expensive sport. It's very expensive. And for those who aren't familiar with the term, Nordic skiing is also referred to as cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing, yes, that's correct. Yeah, generally you can just hop outside in your backyard or go to a local park and do that with not such expensive equipment. Right. So basically Oregon Adaptive Sports started out with skiing events, but must have spread out into many more sports events. Yeah, and so... In 2009, we started with the Nordic program, and there weren't many folks here who were blind or visually impaired, so I would teach a bunch of guides, and then I would try to find other people to come and ski. And in 2013, we started with tandem cycling and hiking, and I met some other folks who were blind who had moved to Bend, And so now there's still a small group of us, and we have a program, and and our director, Pat Adabo, named it Mountain Sense, sort of referring to all the other senses that we would use to enjoy the outdoors. What obstacles did you face, if any, when trying to expand your programs? In 2015, several of us met with the former director, Suzanne, and we said, you know, one of the barriers for people who are blind to participate in programs like this is transportation. For instance, the local bus service doesn't go to one of our favorite parks where there's some really nice hiking trails, and it's only 15 minutes away from where I live. Yeah, buses are better in more densely populated areas like cities. They don't often go to the uh, trailheads of hiking trails. Yeah, and the ironic thing, though, is the trail is is very close to town. It's just, just outside the boundary of where the buses go. Well, Suzanne really took that to heart, and she got a grant and purchased a 12-passenger bus. And so really what started our program in earnest in 2016 was the purchase of this bus and we named it joy because it brings us so much joy and so now tomorrow will be our first mountain sense adventure and we're going to go up to the mountain and 
couple of us are going to cross-country ski and a couple folks are going to try snowshoeing. One of our participants who hiked with us last summer, it's going to be his first time on snowshoes and he's super excited about it. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. In case you're wondering, we actually recorded this interview a couple of months ago in the winter, even though we're not airing it until April. And that was by her request, how we scheduled the airing of the show, because she wants to have people hear about their programs at a time when they're about to start a new season. I know your organization has people with all kinds of disabilities, but in particular for the visually impaired, what kind of adaptations are generally made uh, when you're skiing or some of these other sports that you're doing? For cross-country skiing, we talk about whether the guide is going to ski next to the blind skier or if it's somebody who has some usable vision, if the person wants the guide in front of them so that they can see the person. And for downhill skiing, it's the same sort of thing where we really try to customize the guide to the person who's blind. So one person might want their guide to say a certain set of terms to guide them down the hill, and somebody else might want something completely different. So I teach one style of guiding with the caveat that someone else who comes to visit us at Mount Bachelor might have a whole other guiding system, and you just sort of have to get used to what your skier wants you to say. Well, we've experienced that ourselves. When we first met, Pete had a fair amount of usable vision. He was still using a CCTV system at work and just, you know, heavy, heavy magnification. But we'd go out cross-country skiing and I would wear a bright jacket that would contrast with the snow and he could follow me. And that worked for some number of years. And then his vision degraded and I started skiing behind and yelling right, left, whatever, And that was okay, except he was faster than me, and I didn't always have enough breath to be able to make enough noise. (laughs) And so we hung up our cross-country skis, and we bought snowshoes, and and then we can stay a lot closer together. Well, and now when we're hiking, we have our own lexicon. As you said, some people need different kinds of directions or work better with different kinds of directions. Exactly. And even with hiking, if you're hiking with a guide dog, which I do quite a bit, But I'll tell you the thing that really was my favorite thing about having a dog was the ability to hike really independently. And so we talk about some people want their dog to follow their guide and some people want their guide to follow them. And if someone's using a cane or a hiking stick, some people will hold on to one end of a a hiking pole and their guide will hang on to the other end so they're not quite as close together. Sometimes height is a factor where if you're, like, I'm pretty short, and so if I'm hiking with a really tall person, then if I'm hanging on to their pack or something like that, then my arm is up in the air and it gets kind of tired. So I I love that I can hike with my dog now and Yeah, the opposite problem with a height difference is Pete's taller than I am. Fortunately, only a few inches, but every once in a while, I walk right under a branch, and I think he's going to clear it, and I'm wrong. Exactly. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so what I think is so fun and what I try to emphasize with with these partnerships that are formed, what no matter what sport it is, it's that working together and developing that communication that's really going to get the point across and say as few words as possible so that you can really be efficient with the guiding. Well, and the other benefit is that you can actually enjoy the experience and enjoy each other's company if you're not spending all of your time saying step up, duck, whatever. Right, exactly. I really enjoy with our groups, working with our guides and really kind of getting to know them and forming, I don't know, this might sound a little cheesy or something, but it it really does kind of feel like a little family group when we go out together and, you know, there's four or five of us that are blind or visually impaired and we have our guides with us and everybody just is really supportive of each other, whether it's somebody trying something for the first time. Last summer, we had a group of tandem cyclists, and a couple of the guys hadn't been on bikes since they lost their vision. And so we didn't go real far, but everybody was really excited to get out and try it again. Just, hey, I got on a bike, and and they they were really inspired to keep coming back and and doing events with us. Well, you know, I think this idea of customizing how one works with a leader is a really important concept. And particularly for new people, first of all, to give them some ideas as to how this can be done and, but that there's choices, but you know, more importantly, what you're showing people is that you can be successful one way or another doing some of these activities. Right, exactly. So you're in Bend, Oregon, right? I am in Bend, yep. You probably know, but most of our listeners probably don't, that living in Bend, Oregon is one of the finest blind tandem bicycle riders ever. And we interviewed Matt King for episode number 1616, and he participated in three Paralympics games and has set all sorts of world speed records and, you know, is just really a a phenomenal bicyclist. I don't know if you guys know that he works for Facebook down in San Francisco now, I guess, and so he isn't in town a lot from what I hear. Yeah, we interviewed him about accessibility operations at Facebook for the following episode, which was 1617. So yeah, we we know he's at Facebook. Yeah, he is an extremely good cyclist. So you talked about participating in the Paralympics yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your aspirations for the future? Sure. Um, So I, uh, like I said, when I was growing up, our family used to watch the Olympics on TV and it was just always so inspiring to me. And one day my sister and I were pretending we were, uh, she was Peggy Fleming, you know, back in 68 or whatever it was. And, and I was her student. And so I was like, Oh, when I grew up, I want to go to the Olympics. And did that actually happen? Did you get a chance to attend a Paralympics? 
Yeah, I went to Nagano, Japan in 1998 for the Paralympics where I cross-country skied. Oh, oh cool. Good for you. How did you place? Last. That's okay. You had the experience. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was the hardest skiing I ever did. It was like, wow. What were some of your other memorable sporting events? I participated in triathlons. And the first one I did, I had a different guide for each leg for the swimming, biking, and running portion of the race. And then I met one of the triathlon coaches for a women's tri group. And she said, I have your guide for you under one condition. I want to do the whole thing with you. And so I taught her how to captain the tandem. And from there, we got into it. And we were the first women's pair, blind person and guide, to compete at the U.S. Triathlon Association World Championships in Hawaii. So it was an Olympic distance race where we swam for a mile, we biked for 26 miles, and we ran six miles. Impressive. And I understand there are also some other exciting events in which you've participated. Can you tell us about those? I decided to try tandem cycling and speed skating. I did all sorts of sports. I I ran track for a while, and I, I never quite found my niche in those sports. I got pretty good at them, but I was never fast enough. On the other hand, I understand that you have done some fairly extreme activities, such as hiking completely from one side of the Grand Canyon to the other and back. That's not just a walk in the woods. Right, exactly. So in 2009, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And after I had my surgery and I recovered and everything, I thought, boy, I need a new goal. And so I decided that my goal was going to be to do a rim-to-rim hike of the Grand Canyon. And my third dog, Coco, from Seeing Eye, was a really amazing hiking companion. And so I found a guide company, and they were terrific. And so we started at the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, and Coco guided me the whole way. I had a 35-pound pack on my back, and I had somebody in front of me and a guide behind me just to kind of let me know what was coming up. So we did it in four days, and two days down, and then two days to hike out. Wow, that must have been spectacular. Oh, it was so fun. It was it was a real, and Coco did such a great job. She was quite the hiker. So the Grand Canyon, you start at the top, you end up at the bottom, and then, of course, you have to reverse back up to the top. But you've done a lot of other hikes where you start at the bottom, you go to the top and back down again in various parts of the country, including many 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado and the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. Were there any significant differences to those experiences? The thing that was so different about the Grand Teton versus doing the 14ers in Colorado was uh, all the 14ers that I had done were hikes. And you hike to the top and then you hike back down. And 
doing the Grand Teton, the last 1,500 feet of that climb is a technical climb, and it's about five pitches. So you have to tie into the rope. So they had to make sure that we all were comfortable climbing, doing the technical climbing, and just scrambling over boulders and things like that. And so it was really quite a fun adventure. Cool. Sounds sounds like you've had quite a few major adventures. Yes, yeah. It's really funny because oftentimes people will say to me, why do you do these things? If you can't see it, what's the thrill in it? Because usually people either hike up a mountain or hike down in the canyon because of the views. Like, well, for me, it's really about the experience being with the people and it's about the journey. And I feel much the same way. I mean, Nancy and I hike up these mountains and we get to the top and people ask me afterwards, why did you go up to the top of the mountain? You know, people will go up there for the view, but it's really the experience. And by the way, we've seen fully sighted people at the top of some of these mountains when there are clouds all over and you can't see a thing. So other people do it for the experience also. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Oregon Adaptive Sports and how you can get involved in various activities. So if people want to find out more about the Oregon Adaptive Sports Organization, where would you send them? They can visit us at OregonAdaptiveSports.org. It's all spelled out and there's no spaces. So www.OregonAdaptiveSports.org. And they can call at 541-306-4774, extension 5. And if they prefer email? And if they want to reach me, they can write nancy at oregonadaptivesports.org. Do you have a social media presence? Yes. Our Facebook is Oregon Adaptive Sports, and our Twitter handle is at OAS Bend. So if people are interested, they can be in touch. And if they want to come out this summer and enjoy Central Oregon, we would love to have them come visit us. And if you're looking for any of that information, you can find it in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And as our regular listeners know, we put together a special web page with show notes for each episode, so you can easily find all the contact information, URLs, email addresses, social media contacts, etc., for the people that we talked with in the show. So make use of those show notes. That's it for show number 1815. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with another Paralympian. Stacy Manella just returned from competing in four different alpine ski events in the Pyeongchang Paralympics. And we will talk with her about what that experience was like including her time on the mountain, but also her time in the Olympic Village and all of her other experiences. 
If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.